proclaim to you the Word of God as we confess that about the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. The fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And we confess that in Lord's Day 51 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 51. There the, the church has summarized the Word of God as follows. What is the fifth petition? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us. As we also find this evidence of your grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls belonging to the Lord here. There seem to be two extremes today when it comes to openness about your sins and transgressions. On the one hand, you have those who, for one or other reason, are quite open about their sins and talk openly about them then. And then you can think of the extreme in that case. You can think of reality talk shows where one partner confesses their adultery to the other partner in front of all kinds of people, all kinds of television watchers. There's even a, a show called Unfaithfulness. I think it's on the Winfrey, the Oprah Winfrey Network. On those kinds of shows, people talk openly to the whole world about their transgressions. Their sins are confessed as a kind of uh, entertainment for other people even. On the other hand, you can also have people today who do their utmost to hide their sins. From, from others, from God, maybe even from themselves. And maybe they do that in the hope that they won't be looked down on by other people or so. How could you ever do something like that? You know, how, how in the world could you fall into that kind of a thing? Think of people who have become alcohol or drug or gambling addicted. All too often they continue in denial for years, even though people might want to try to talk to them about their, their failures, their, their sins, their addictions. They still do the utmost to hide them from others. Brothers and sisters, it's not good to be as open about your sins as you see on those talk shows where it becomes entertainment. Sins are sobering, humbling to talk about. Nothing to boast about or to 
entertain other people with. On the other hand, it's also not good to be so closed about sins, your sins, that you end up stuck in a terrible denial. And then your life is going to be twisted by your unconfessed sins. Those are two extremes. But there is a kind of openness about sins that's good and possible and edifying. In James 5, 16, it even says, confess your sins to one another. in the church. But those words don't just stand by themselves. No, James says, he adds to that, and pray for one another. So it's confession with the purpose of being forgiven your sins and trespasses. And that should be possible in the church. You should be able to confess your sins among fellow believers in order to seek the forgiveness of the debts which God alone can give you through Jesus Christ. And that's, in fact, what the church, is, what the church can proclaim. There is life after sin. And congregation, with that in mind, I proclaim to you the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And I proclaim that petition with this theme, there is life after sin. We see, first of all, that God grants it, and secondly, so we also grant it. God grants life after sin in the first place. Actually, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, if you think about it, God should get good and sick and tired of us always asking for forgiveness of our debts, shouldn't he? Imagine you, you had somebody working for you who had the proper training, should be able to do the work that you give him to do, but every day again that person comes up short and tells you he was not able to do what you asked him to do. And then every time it's the same old story. Couldn't do the task, couldn't complete it. Maybe all kinds of excuses too. You'd get sick and tired of that, wouldn't you, after some time hearing all those excuses and so on and the failures, you'd, you'd fire that person. Too bad. You gave him the chance, but he, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. When it comes down to it, brothers and sisters, that's how we are with God, isn't it? Every day we go to God, have to confess to him our failure to reach what he asked from us, to achieve what he asked from us, our shortcomings. Every day we have to ask him to forgive our debts because we again felt short of what he requires. And yet God never ever says to us, 
I'm sick and tired of you asking for forgiveness every day again. Don't bother asking anymore. No, God does not send us away. He never sends us away. He says, ask every day, Father, forgive us our debts. I won't get tired of hearing you ask. You know, brothers and sisters, that worker I mentioned should have been able to fulfill his daily tasks. That's how it is with us, too. We were created in God's image, able to do good, to serve God in holiness, but because of our fall, we can't do it anymore. It's our own fault, and that's our debt before God. We fail to do for God what we could and should, what he made us for. We're not the way we should be. And congregation here in church, we can admit that, can't we? We can confess that we've fallen short again and again, that we can't keep God's good commandments. But you know how people are. We like to keep up appearances. We like to be seen as good people, upright people, strong people. We expect that from each other. But that's the problem, isn't it? In the church, you sometimes get the idea that you can't be who you are. You have to achieve a certain acceptable level in order to, of righteousness in order to be part of things. And then you can end up walking on eggshells in order not to disappoint others, not to disappoint God even. That can be a very tiring, draining exercise. But you actually don't need to make yourself look better than you really are in church. Among your fellow members of Christ, you can be who you are. Because that's what we confess here. Wretched sinners. Do not impute to us. Wretched sinners. We call ourselves here. That's who we are. The Lord Jesus Christ taught us in the fifth petition, we can come to God every time again as wretched sinners asking for forgiveness. Even if we disappointed the, the people around us, even if we sorely disappointed God, we can ask again and again in the church among Christians, you can fall into sin. You can fall short, and you can still live on. That's the beauty of it. There is life after sin with God. When you truly ask God to forgive your debts, that means that you acknowledge that you're indebted to Him. And in the church, you may openly and honestly confess your sins to God then. That's the message of the Bible. Think of the sacrifices for sins in the temple in the Old Testament. By nature, we'd rather not talk about our sins and failures, but the Bible 
talks quite openly and honestly about the sins of people and of the saints. The saints confess their sins there. Think of David's sin with Bathsheba. Think of how David confessed that sin from the heart in Psalm 51 against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And Psalm 32. Psalm 32, when I did not confess my sins, my life dried up. In church, you may confess your sins because a mark of the church, the mark of the church of Christ is that there is life after sin. So you don't have to try to hide your sins here. People in church fall into sins. They're wretched sinners. Sometimes Christians commit shocking transgressions. But we can confess our sins in church. We can even point out each other's sins. That's the way it should be. Not to gossip, but to bring to forgiveness. To bring to ask for forgiveness. And to go on in life thanks to the forgiveness of sins. Think of what we read in Micah 7. Micah confesses Israel's sins with the certainty that God forgives in Micah 7. Notice how detailed that description of sins is in the first part of that chapter. Princes and judges ask for bribes and scheme, leaders scheme, family relationships have broken down and people in the same household are one another's enemies. They can't trust each other anymore. And those, those sins are openly confessed with the certainty of the forgiveness of sins as described in verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of your heritage? That's the amazing thing with our God. When his people disappoint him, he doesn't just throw up his hands and turn away from us. No, Micah proclaims in the verse we just quoted, he passes over our iniquities. Passes over. And you recognize the word Passover there, as with the Passover feast in Israel. When a lamb was killed, its blood would be painted on the doorposts of the house so that the angel of God's wrath would pass over that house. The same word is used in Micah 7, God passes over our sins. We have the tendency not to pass over the sins and shortcomings of others, but to stop and point at them in self-righteousness. But God passes over when there is repentance and confession of sins and seeking forgiveness he sees the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, then, and he passes over our transgressions and debts. He doesn't see them anymore. In fact, as Micah describes in verse 19, the Lord casts all our sins in the depths of the sea. 
even if we forgive somebody, we have the tendency to fish up those past sins again when we can use them against that person in the future. But when God forgives, he doesn't fish up those sins anymore. They're in the depths of the sea. They're gone for good. That's your God, congregation, your God. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, we sang with Psalm 103. What God is there who promised to do that? None of the gods or heroes people look to for rest and happiness today can give that kind of a peace. None of them can forgive sins and put your consciences to rest. None of them can give relief from guilt so that you can go on in life in spite of what you've done or not done. You can go on as if you had never had nor committed any sins at all. Only God can do that in Christ. And we have the promise that he will pass over our sins and shortcomings. But then we always need to remember what a high price was paid for our sins to Jesus Christ, God's Son in the flesh, the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, gave his life blood for us. Let him be the main person in your lives, congregation. He gave himself so that there could be life after sin for you and for me. We come to the second point of the sermon, God grants life after sin, and so we also grant that to our neighbor. Brothers and sisters and also boys and girls, the catechism goes from God forgiving us our debts to us forgiving our debtors. The catechism talks about being fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. Being fully determined, that's not absolute. It's a relative expression, being fully determined. And you see here the pastoral sensitivity of the catechism, because circumstances can vary, and it can be extremely extremely difficult to forgive someone for what they did to you. Imagine that you're affected by what someone did for life. Imagine that that changes your whole life and future. What, what that person did to you caused a lifetime of physical or psychological suffering. And if there's no sign of remorse or repentance, then it can be almost impossible to forgive. But let's not forget that people can't be God. You can't necessarily do what God can do. In situations like that, you can point to the catechism and say that as long as there's that determination there's that desire to forgive. Then you leave the room for someone to work through all their feelings of anger and resentment and so on. 
Maybe it'll take years of struggle to work all, through all those feelings until they get to the point, who knows, maybe near the end of their lives, that they can forgive. Fully determined. On the other side, the other side of the coin is that we cannot use that as an excuse either to get out of the necessity to be fully determined to wholeheartedly forgive our neighbor. Think of what the Lord Jesus emphasized in Matthew 6, 14, and 15, where he said, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Not being sort of determined, but being fully determined. That's the norm for us. Even if it can be terribly hard to put into practice. This is what the Lord wants from us. If you're merciless in your judgment of your neighbor's shortcomings, and if you refuse to look critically at yourself, how do you think your prayer for forgiveness is going to come across to God? If you want justice from your neighbor to the very last drop, how do you think God, who knows the hearts, will hear your prayer for forgiveness of your sins and injustice toward him? Oh, for forgiving somebody for the wrong they did to you, as we mentioned, can be very, very difficult. Too much to ask, maybe. On the other hand, it's so good to be able to let go of a whole lot of things in yourself in order to let your neighbor experience a bit of what you experience from God, namely that there is life after sin. See, congregation, it's all about your attitude. You can be hard, insensitive, out for every last ounce of justice, or you can refuse to take the first step. Let him, let her ask for forgiveness first. But that kind of attitude doesn't fit with the fifth petition, forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. No, the catechism perceives that God wants a different attitude from us in the Bible. The catechism describes us as wretched sinners. The original catechism used the German word poor here. Poor. Dirt poor. Sinners. So, so poor, you have nothing at all to offer. Wretched means people who have nothing to give, nothing to offer to God to make things right, nothing about us to make God even like us in ourselves. Well, if that's how we are before God when we ask Him to forgive us, 
How then could we be callous and demanding toward our neighbor and unforgiving? I'm totally and completely dependent for forgiveness on Jesus Christ. I have nothing to offer. He was willing to be the least for me. He didn't demand his rights. He gave up his glorious life in heaven with his Father in order to come to this earth as mortal man and to die for me. What he did on Golgotha makes it possible to me for me to have life after sin. Well, we need to keep him and what he did for us in mind when someone in it is indebted to us, someone has wronged us. His granting life after sin against God should make us willing and ready to grant our neighbor life after sin against us too. You can think of it this way. Today is Father's Day. A small child likes to imitate his dad. Dad makes something with hammer and nails on the workbench at home. And the child watches carefully and tries to imitate dad with hammer and nail. He tries to hammer a nail in a piece of wood. But he hits his thumb and he hurts himself. And yet he's determined to do what his dad did. So he keeps trying until he gets the nail started and is able to pound it partway in the wood. And it's kind of crooked, but it's in there. And he shows his dad, look, dad, I can make something too. And dad doesn't say anything about the crooked nail and the wood that doesn't line up. No, he praises his child. Good for you. You did it. This is something like how it is with our forgiving our neighbor too, congregation. If we're truly children of our Father in heaven, we'll want to imitate him in what he does too. And we're not perfect in that. Sometimes we're going to hit our thumb and hurt ourselves, so to speak, and maybe say things that we shouldn't. Sometimes we don't hit the nail on the head, so it ends up going into the wood crooked. It can be so hard to forgive someone who wronged you. And then it can come out wrong, too. And, and it can hurt because you have to go against your sinful nature. But our Father in heaven is wise and patient when we struggle to come to forgive our neighbor. And every day again, he shows us how to do it. He says, ask and I will forgive. I'll pass over those transgressions you've committed today again. I'll cast them in the depth of the sea. And so you and I can go on together again. And then we as his children want to imitate him, don't we? We are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. Fully determined. See, brothers and sisters, boys and girls in the church, you can sin. You can fall into sin and still live on. There's life after sin with God.
also life with each other after sin. God forgives, and then we also want to forgive. If God's grace is what the church is about, then you can be open and honest about your sins too when needed. You don't have to hide your sins. Try to look better than you are. We confess we're wretched sinners. And then confess your sins to one another, as James writes in his letter. Talk to them. Talk about them with each other so you can pray for forgiveness together too. And then they're, they're gone. They're passed over. That's how it is in the church, at least if we truly all live out of God's grace in Christ with our whole hearts. Because that's evidence of God's grace in yourself if you notice, too, that you want to forgive your neighbor. Even if it's hard, and you have to fight your feelings of anger and bitterness, you want to forgive because you've been forgiven. The thing is, with God's grace, you can go on. And with God's grace, we can go on together. Because of Christ, there really, truly is life after sin. Amen.